0: Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald.
1: I've worked this out. Jed is the Jenny of the podcast. Lee, of course, is the Lisa. Matt is the Rosé. And of course, I'm the Jisoo because I'm the Oni. Sure. I think I got that right.
0: Also with us is Jed Brewer. You know what? Sure. I'm going with it. With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee is Lee Younger.
2: As long as I don't get recast in like season six or
1: something like that. That's that's such a Lisa thing to say.
2: You do hate when that
0: happens. We have a great show lined up for you. We've got some great questions. We have got an interview with uh Ben Kirby of Preachers and Sneakers, has a new nice. book out that is definitely a very interesting look at Christian celebrity and all the weird accoutrement that go around that. Had a great chat with Ben. So we're gonna get into all that, but first I must declare a hopefully very profitable emergency. Whoa! Whoa. Oh, no emergency! I was recently informed by someone that uh, PureFlix, a uh, noted Christian media company and follower of the Bridge Chicago on Tumblr, as of last I checked, which was one of the hey. weirdest days of my life several years ago. <laughs> you think you've gotten weird notifications? So noted Christian media company and um, follower of the Bridge Chicago, PureFlix has made some original sitcoms. Oh. Now, I want you to get in your mind what happens when you think Pure Flix sitcom, and you probably think these seem to be to sitcoms what the Pure Flix movies are to movies, and you would be correct. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And that they are technically the same medium, but really not a high-effort version. Okay. A lot of first takes. (laughs) But I'm going to combine that with an interesting, actual, good, possibly good media product I heard of this week, which is that uh, Christianity Today is going to do a podcast, which I wonder where they got that idea, first of all. Uh. Second of all, uh, they're going to do it on uh, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church of Seattle, pastored by one Mark Driscoll. Uh, It is called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. So that's a very interesting idea, but it's probably, and I don't want to cast aspersions, but it certainly seems from the branding and the idea and the investigativeness that they're trying to do uh the, the Christian version of cereal. Right. Which mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. That was a, a massively popular program. You, you want to do your and own all, on that? And it's
1: all it's all about like different kinds of breakfast cereal, right? Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't right. have thought
0: it would be that big. Yeah. So we've got the Christian version of cereal. Here's what I'm wondering is if can we take what Christianity Today is probably going to do a good version of, and do the more kind of pure flicks. We only had it took me thirty minutes to write. I figured it'd take thirty minutes to read version of it,
2: <laughs> and get
0: some kind of low effort Christian knockoffs of very popular podcasts.
2: So I was thinking like, I was thinking like the show Radio Lab, which is about like science and curiosity. But it could just be about creation science and no curiosity. Oh,
0: <laughs> dinosaur lab!
3: <laughs> I like that yeah. a lot. I've got the name. Wait for it. Wait for it. Prepare yourself, Creatio Lab.
1: Yes, oh. that's it, yes. That's Thank it. you, did
3: it. I and think that's a because run.
0: it's creation science, we don't have to do any research. It's just kind of whatever Jed is tinkling on. And then, like, well, uh, if you're wondering about how. These chemicals interact, and how we came to be. uh, Don't worry about it. (laughs) It's actually a sin to think about that. (laughs) So don't get involved. This has been another four-minute episode (laughs) of Creatio Lab. (laughs) (laughs) I think the fun of that, and there would actually be there'd be no audience for it other than the four of us. But I want someone to do a very highly polished, produced, like reading of answers in Genesis text, but in like the very demure NPR Jad Abramrod voice. <laughs> Be like. But the question is, how did they ride the dinosaurs? We talked to some experts to find out.
3: <laughs> it, it occurs to me, I mean, this is in a very different direction, but, you know, if we're just trying to go for mass appeal and, and, and that sweet, sweet cash, how do we do the low effort Christian knockoff version of the Joe Rogan
1: show? Isn't he like into the MMA stuff and all that? Very much so. Well, I, I think, I think we're, we've already got the guys in the church trying that, as we recently covered.
0: Yeah, I feel like we, we talked about a version of what the attempt, Christian attempt at Joe Roganism would be on the last show.
3: Well, I suppose that's true.
0: I had the idea for uh, kind of spooking people mm. with, uh, you know, we're all familiar with the Hell House idea. You know, you take the haunted <laughs> right. house, but,
4: uh, but we do
0: that. But it's all about uh, you send it to your grandchildren who have left politics and it horrifies them. And we call it Chapo <laughs> Hell House.
3: <laughs> nice. I think
1: that would be great. Absolutely.
0: I think you'd of course have kind of your your NPR corner. Um, okay. Uh, wait, wait! Don't tempt me. Oh, that's oh, very good. Yeah. That's yeah. very yeah, very that's good. very yeah. nice. Kind of you know, kind of a game show format with pithy slogans about how holy you are. Um, the opposite of that, all sins considered. <laughs> wow. <laughs> mm, yeah. That's good. <laughs> This one we might get sued over, but it'd be hilarious. Planet Financial Peace.
1: Mm. Oh, that's yeah. very, very good. Uh, just, uh, I don't know why, it just popped into my head, uh, Great British Church Off. Just Oh, that
3: is very good. <laughs> sure. putting that in
1: there. Yeah. Very polite. Can we get them just in sweaters doing like the uh, the ninja thing where they do the obstacle courses and the things are knocking them off the thing? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, sure. Do you know what Great British
3: Bake Off is? Not exactly, but you have raised something really tremendous, which is I really like the idea of a highly liturgical church service. You know, there's a lot of standing and kneeling. You know, we're walking around, there's incense, there's lighting candles, there's putting candles out, but there are obstacles the entire time. Like American Gladiator style People are shooting, you know, rubber balls at you, and really there's good. guys with yeah. pugil sticks trying to knock
1: you over. Like you can't spill your your little cup of communion. Yeah, that's juice. right. Yes, you know. exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah. exactly. Who can successfully take the Eucharist after enduring the gauntlet? <laughs> 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 that's
0: that's very good. We moved into a television production here, and I think there's a big market for that. I I assume the set of American Gladiators is just mothballed somewhere, and we could get it for like seventy bucks. No question. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Might have to get some new you just, balls. The, uh, you just trade out the you just trade out the lycra unitard for the for the robes.
1: I'd watch the heck out of that. Sure.
2: <laughs> well, I like the idea of the,
0: I like the liturgical element that we've introduced there, and we could do kind of a a more kind of hip L.A. Uh, improvisational version mm. uh, liturgy bang bang. Oh, that's oh, very good. Yeah. Which may that's be a joke good. only for Pete Lawson, but you know it's in there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, here, here's, I think the two big money ones and I want to hear you, whatever else you guys have, The two big money ones. I think we get a kind of, a kind of angry washed up comedian trying to refire his career. And I think there's plenty who would, uh, who are trying the Christian thing. I take you back to the, uh, the pure sitcom, which featured, uh, guest starring roles for both Rob Schneider and carrot top. Oh, my. Mm. Yeah, uh, but we, we get them a kind of interview show where they can be very raw, and we call it What the Frick? <laughs> mm. And there's the other one, mm. which apparently, like, true crime burger podcasts are really big. Uh, okay. like, there's a lot of those, and they're very popular. Um, but I think it would be a very quick push to make those Christian. So instead of My Favorite Murder, it's My Favorite Murder. Oh, oh that's good. <laughs> and you take the craving for violence, and you just give them, like, you know,
2: 18th century people. Yeah, just, just Jan Hus being yep. burned at the stake. Well, so, Matt, I also wonder if you could, you could do kind of a Malcolm Gladwell thing, somebody really whispering into the mic, and it's revisionist theology. Yeah, mm. you could do a Malcolm Gladwell thing where it's like, man, he sounds really smart,
0: and then afterwards like, oh no, he was wrong about everything. <laughs> <laughs> he sounded so, so sure of himself. <laughs> I think mean, that might be a lot
3: of Christian podcasts, to be fair. confident white man, the podcast. I don't think we're going to beat confident white man. The podcast. Mm -hmm. I I think that's yeah. Also known as the internet, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Right. Yeah. No, I think those are all winners. I think we're, we're going to make a lot of money unless once again, we uh, put these ideas out there and forget to do them or copyright them. But what are the odds of that happening once again? So with that, we will declare emergency off and we will head on into our questions. But first we want to tell you that you can join us every Tuesday at 7 30 PM central time at facebook.com slash for the bridge live. You can of course also check out missionusa.com slash bridge box. If you want to get some mm-hmm. more good bridge stuff into your inbox, the first of every month, only $8 a month. Great way to support the show. And get some good encouraging stuff for yourself. MissionUSA.com slash bridgebox. We're gonna head over to our first question here. If you handle this all the way to the end, I'll use some ways to get in touch with this. Or you can scroll down in your episode description and click the links there. Our first question comes in anonymously and says, What does spiritual growth actually mean? I've been welcomed in the family of Christ for about six years, but I don't feel like I'm becoming more Christian like compared to my friends. I know it would I know it's wrong to compare myself with others as growth has different levels for everyone. But what should I do to know I'm on the right track?
2: An excellent question. And Lee, where would we start off? Super, super cool question. We we love stuff like this. And we love stuff like this because uh, you're courageous to say out loud the thing that a lot of people are thinking. Um, I want to start out with a couple of kind of basic things about spiritual growth. One has to do with um, just the thing that holds most people back from even beginning, the the, the prospect of growing is just a lack of humility. People have a problem with humility, straight out. In order to grow, I have to be comfortable with the idea that I haven't arrived yet. Uh, One of the things that you see in a lot of Christian communities and a lot of churches and a lot of groups is that people feel like there's an expectation and there's kind of a communication, and kind of the way people talk is like, we're all almost there, right? Mm. And that's really, really not a good way to be. When our Lord started teaching about his kingdom, the very first thing he said is that the kingdom of heaven belongs to people who realize that they're spiritually bankrupt. That's like the main thing you need to know to get into this whole thing is you don't have it going on. You don't have what it takes. So we we, we start with humility. If we can start with the idea of I'm not there yet— and I'm comfortable with that idea, then we can really—I mean, that's just kind of thing number one. Asking the Lord, um, you know, asking the Lord, what is it you want to work on in me right now? And that leads me to kind of thing number two. So, you know, thing number one being humility, the idea that I'm not there yet, which a lot of Christians have a hard time with. But thing number two is there's a weird thing in Christian culture— And I bet these other brothers have seen this too, where kind of everybody in Christian culture gets on the same thing at the same time. Like we all have the exact same thing that everybody has to focus on and grow on right now. Um, I remember when I was uh, was in college, the big thing in Christian culture was the spiritual gift survey. Everybody Mm -hmm. has to do a... A spiritual gift survey to find out where everybody is. And and you see these kinds of things all the time. And then it, you know, it goes on to, you know, different kinds of deals that, you know, there's the Enneagram thing, you know, whatever, whatever. But um, everybody gets on kind of the same thing at the same time. And and that leads me to kind of pointing out the second thing. Once we get comfortable with the idea of humility, that leads us into asking the Lord, what is it you want to work on in me? And that, and that's because everybody's spiritual growth is going to be an individual deal. You, there's something that the Lord wants to work on in you that's not the same as everybody else. And what that means is that you can't focus all of your energy on looking around you at what other people are like, what, what all of their strengths and all their amazing points and where they seem to be crushing the ball, all that kind of stuff. What I need to do is I need to be comfortable with the idea that I need to grow, thing number one. Thing number two, knowing that, going to the Lord and asking Him for His list in His time. That's really, really the key. Um, What I can almost guarantee you is, you know, like, let's say you've got 20 things in your kind of personality or life that you really need to grow in at some point. The Lord doesn't want to do all of those things at once. He wants to start with something that's highest on his list of priorities, and he wants to deal with that thing right now, and then we'll move on to something else. That's not going to be the exact same thing as everybody else, and that's why it's a weird deal where everybody in Christian culture reads the same book at the same time or, or focuses on the same deal at the same time. Everybody gets in these trends of this is where we're all growing right now. We're all going to foster children, and we're all going to do this other thing. no. We need to be open to the idea that I'm not there yet, and I've got a lot of growing to do, and then I need to go to the Lord and ask Him individually, what's the thing that you want me to focus on? You and I, we're working this thing out, Lord. Where do you want me to focus my energy and to try to seek wisdom on? And that at that point, then you can start to bring in people in your life that you trust, who can help you see yourself, who can help you come up with strategies and help you grow. But we've got to start with humility. That's kind of thing number one. I need to grow. And then thing number two, what's the individual thing that the Lord wants to work on with me right now?
0: I think mean, that's a great point. I really like that layer of bringing in kind of the the trends and the fads, because— Uh, There's nothing wrong with those, you know, as as Lee's saying, you know, you want to take the Enneagram. That's, that's cool. You know, if you read the book when it comes out that everybody's reading totally makes sense, but that's not how this growth works. It doesn't come from, you know, you get this big rush of uh, inspiration and then you kind of go out and do it. And Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because I wonder if one of the things that is confusing about spiritual growth is that it is a, a subtler process than we want it to be. And in a way, it's a process that we have less, that are just uh, putting a lot of effort into it, can't make it go a lot faster in ways that we could in
3: exercise or studying something. It has a bit of mystery to it, right? You know, I think that's totally true. And and I think that it, it may help us to, in a big picture sense, understand spiritual growth a little bit if we pull the camera back and take a broader look at Really, any kind of growth in a particular endeavor or or field, you know, at at least for folks in America, you know, if you if you ask them, you know, like, how do you get good at something? You get a lot of different answers, but many of them would be variations on the theme of well, what you do is like you grow up and you take it to the limit and you do it super hard and super (laughs) extreme. And that's how you do it. Blast your quads. Yeah. Ugh. You know, that's, that's how—I mean, basically any pursuit, that's how you do it. Oh, I think the the Christian version of the Joe Rogan
0: podcast is called Blast Your Spiritual Quads. Yes. I think we yes, did Yes, it. it
3: is. Absolutely. Tune in next week. So I think we all kind of, you know, many of us anyway, have kind of a, a an unexamined belief that's that's how you get good at anything. But here's the really funny thing about that. If you talk to people, if you hang out with people who who have a real mastery in their field, you know they they uh, really have have you know, gotten to a place where they've really established themselves. Those people are rarely trying to bro up and force things to happen. Like that's actually not a common thing. They they tend to be pretty relaxed, at least about that field of of that pursuit, the area where they have some mastery. There there tends to be You know, kind of a, you know, I I get how this works quality that goes with that, at least in my experience, the people that I've known who have a mastery in, again, in in almost any field, they tend to not be so interested in how to blast your quads and take it to the limit. They, They tend to be a lot more interested in nuance and subtlety and, uh, sustainability and like, what's a, a gentle yeah. approach to this thing that's going to have like a good, smooth rhythm to it where we can just, you know, kind of, you know, grow and, and, and improve and, and get there. And, um, I think it would be worth looking at what would it mean for your spiritual life if you envisioned that as a quality of spiritual maturity? because i think so many of the people that we're inclined to think of as really spiritual mature are people who are telling us to take it to the limit and blast our spiritual quads and be yeah. really hardcore and again at least in other fields of endeavor that's not usually the sign of a person who has mastery in that field who has maturity in that field if we took the view that that mastery tended to have an appreciation for nuance and subtlety, sustainability, you know, kind of a a, a good smooth rhythm, kind of the old the old adage that slow is smooth and smooth is fast, you know, people who right. have a, a real mastery tend to really believe that about their field. So, what would it mean if we took that view about our own spiritual growth, or or at least about? What spiritual growth would look like for us. And part of the reason why I think that's important is because I, I think it may cast a, a different vision than what we default to. But the other thing that's important about it is we're, we have a way of trying to reverse engineer from whatever our vision is. Um, and if your vision is a guy who's super intense all the time, then I think you're going to try and, and reverse engineer a way that you can become super intense all the time. But if your vision is of a person who is, you know, relaxed and, and does his thing or, or does her thing and, you know, um, isn't uptight about stuff, I think that's going to guide you to a very different path of how you would get to that point. Like it's not that you're going to be super hardcore and take it to the limit and then suddenly one day you smash on the brakes and you're relaxed now. We're, we're actually going to want to embrace a different path. The whole way, and it's one that I think you can do, and that would be much healthier, and that you would
1: enjoy a heck of a lot more.
0: That's a great place to take that. And Glenn, we've heard a lot of good stuff here. Where do we close this one out?
1: Yeah, I, I love what Jed was saying there. You know that uh, you know we are blessed, uh, particularly in the work that we do, because we we integrate with lots of uh, good churches and and lots and we go looking for them, and none of those people have that you know, show-off-y kind of, you know, bro kind of attitude towards their faith. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't come off as sincere. The other thing you ought to know, you, you said in here, um, you, you know, I don't feel like I'm becoming more Christian-like compared to my friends— if it makes you feel any better, I I definitely am not Christian like in the way that your friends are either. <laughs> uh, so that's okay. Uh, I, um, I think uh, there's a certain uh, you know culture that, that springs up around uh, any religion, any kind of group, and there's there's a a tendency to just have a way of carrying yourself, a way of talking and acting, and kind of you know, putting putting things on front street to try and signify that you're a really high-ranking Christian of some kind, and that's usually how I tell that someone is not. Uh, really, really strong Christians, as Joe was saying, are are people that you can see their humility coming first and foremost. That's kind of the thing you should be looking for in terms of measuring spiritual growth, it's not acting straight uh and sinless it's not bible knowledge' it's, you know the devil knows every word on every page it doesn't make him Christian, so that doesn't track what you're really looking for is intimacy and uh, you get there uh intimacy with god by by listening uh the, mm. some some of that is talking and doing and, and, and venting yeah. uh but it's about being still and listening you hear that still small voice in in your uh in your mind in your heart. Uh, you know it's there. Uh, it's maybe drowned out by lots of other stuff. And if you are listening to that voice, then that's that's as Christian as it gets. There's there's not another level beyond that. Uh, in terms of how you grow from there, that's that's humility, uh, to circle back to that idea, that uh, humble people grow because they say, I'm not where I need to be. I need to have wisdom and, and knowledge. I need to seek input on how to do this better. And then that's how I'm going to actually become uh, a stronger uh, Christian. So I I humble myself first. That's step one uh, in terms of getting where you're going. Uh, but the mechanism for that, uh the 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 actual thing that makes it move forward is that listening to the Lord. So if you're doing that However imperfectly however you know individual as Lee was talking about how how you know however personal that is to just your relationship with God, that part is that doesn't matter i mean the the more personal the better the more it's different the better uh but to recognize that's that's the top level
0: absolutely right, that is all fantastic stuff from all these guys uh the one thing I, I would tackle in the end here is if you're looking for something you can kind of quantify, and it's not perfectly quantifiable, but if you're looking for a metric of spiritual growth, I think you, you would do well to look to Galatians 5.22, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, some uh, translations say patience there, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, If you want to look for, am I getting better at this, Christ, doing the Christian thing, uh, any any movement you make in having more of those things than you used to to doing those things better than you used to to uh kind of those things becoming more of your routine and more of the the natural way you want to uh, approach other people in the world is a very very good barometer for if you're uh, getting closer to the heart of the lord because uh, you know the scripture tells us that those are the things that those are the things that produce that fruit. So if you're looking for some little things to uh to know if you're pointing the right direction, I think that's a good place to look. And I also would guess that over 6 years, I would guess you've gotten a lot better at those things mm-hmm. even if you don't realize it. So sometimes right. it is nice to have some kind of of rubric to look at. So we really appreciate your question. And we're going to move on now. We have an interview. This is my chat with Ben Kirby, who is the proprietor of the uh, very popular Preachers and Sneakers Instagram account. He also recently wrote a book called Preachers and Sneakers, uh, which has, again, a lot of fascinating stuff about uh, megachurch culture and kind of the way Christian culture and the church sees celebrity, how it's dealing with that, the way the people who are on the other side of that, experience that. So a really interesting book and a really interesting chat with Ben. So we're going to take you to that right now. The first question I think is very interesting and we'll get into the, the, the meat of the book, but what's the, what's been the difference in platform because you started with just kind of your own personal Instagram account and then doing this as a gimmick and then it really quickly became a whole thing. What was that experience like? And when did you kind of bite into the idea of, okay, I'm going to make this be something?
5: Yeah. Uh, two years ago, I, you're right. I just had a personal Instagram account. I had like three or 400 followers of like friends throughout the years, all that kind of stuff. I didn't, wasn't a public figure. I didn't have any kind of social media presence other than just what everybody else has. is like, Hey, here's me on a vacation. Here's my wife. Here's my dog, that kind of stuff. Um, and I was in, I was finishing up my first year of my MBA program here at SMU in Dallas. And, uh, I happened to notice one Sunday morning, this worship leader that was wearing some Yeezy 750s that were, that I knew were reselling for like 850, 900 bucks. And on my personal Instagram account, I just made a few videos calling that out or just like saying, Hey, did y'all know these, these guys shoes are worth this much? And, um, what that eventually led to was me, looking up all these pastors and worship leaders and seeing all their like preaching pics of them wearing like really nice hype sneaks and streetwear and really well curated photos. And so all I did or in my in my head, I was like, I bet you most people don't know how much these off-white Jordan ones are could bring you if you sold today. So all I did was repost their picture and put the the stock X or the retail price, depending on if it was a designer item or a resale item, uh right next to it. And just saying like one sentence, like such and such bastard wearing the off-white Jordan ones. And that's it without any kind of like bias or context to it. And, um, I did that on my personal account for a, a couple of days and, uh, I got some, you know, people, my friends laughed, people that knew me laughed. And then I had a buddy who's a music guy in LA. He, he messaged me or texted me and, and recommended like, said, Hey, dude, you should start an account doing just that. Like, uh, there's plenty of people out in LA and New York wearing these kind of outfits and people feel a certain type of way about it. And so I thought about for a few days. And so, um, it took me about, I think nine days from making that first video on my personal account to starting the preachers and sneakers account. And after starting the account and copying those videos and pictures over to the account that I started, I got a hundred thousand followers in four weeks. Whoa. And just doing that, no ads, no hashtags, no nothing. And it just spread like uh organic wildfire. It was crazy. And so um, very quickly I got on the radar of a bunch of high profile pastors, as well as on the radar of all these news agencies, because the news media loves a good pastor scandal or sure. like a good church, anything to point at church and religion to say, see, a bunch of hypocrites. Um, and so, I'm in the middle of this, not having a plan or a strategy or like really wanting anything out of it. I just made an observation. I wanted to get a few laughs from my friends and then it turned into a uh, way bigger of a thing than it ever could be. And so I did that almost exclusively just that, posting those pictures uh over and over and over almost like one a day for maybe the first year or so. And then um throughout that time I had a lot of people that were really mad at me because they felt like I was judging these pastors or implying that they were hypocrites or taking money out of the offering plate, that kind of stuff. And then I had other people, thousands of other people that were either hurt by church or atheists or like really ingrained in church and uh, felt like this was a worthy thing to bring up. And so there was, I was dealing with all these different opinions and hot takes from every which side. And I realized that uh, there's a lot deeper things here than just the sneakers. And it's really not about the sneakers at all. It's about the modern church's relationship to to wealth and fame and social media and fashion and consumerism, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and the sneakers were just kind of a byproduct of that. And for whatever reason, I was able to, to make it a tangible thing for people to point to. And so it caused all these different big questions that didn't have really great answers and were kind of messy and um, nuanced. And so two years later i I've continued to push people to try to discuss those things because uh, I think they're valid uh questions that we have to wrestle with if we 're in the west and in, in America because our, our a lot of our churches do obsess about really good production really beautiful people making a bunch of money success image curating a bunch of uh you know well produced social media posts all that kind of stuff and so by some weird way that it was not my own doing uh god has turned what me pointing out a few pairs of hype sneakers into a very deep like church discussion and theological dis- discussion that i am not equipped for but i'm trying to uh steward the opportunity because for whatever reason i'm the guy that he chose to to lead this thing i guess
0: yeah it's it's you mentioned being at such an interesting nexus point of being a Christian, being uh, familiar with megachurch culture, but also being a sneakerhead, knowing maybe you didn't know eight hundred fifty dollars off the top of your head, but you knew expensive. Yeah. It brings up an interesting question of because you mentioned pastors, and I know you've dealt with a fair amount of pastor fans getting getting angry yeah. at you. Yeah, which we can get a pretty get consistent stream. <laughs> we can get a whole discussion of whether pastors should have stands. That might be its own a uh, concern, yeah. but these These guys are going on stage in these things they're on camera they're trying to signal something if they're not explicitly trying to signal "I have a thousand dollars to spend on shoes. What do you think they're trying to tell people who don't know it how expensive these sneakers are? They just know those are probably pretty nice sneakers. yeah, I think some uh
5: would say that they had never thought about it before. I think some of them had just some of them live in a culture that those kind of outfits that those kind of price tags aren't really much to bat an eye at like mm. especially if you're in like Hollywood like specifically Hollywood or you know uh Soho New York City uh that doesn't phase maybe the average person there and so several of these guys were getting up on stage wearing that kind of stuff and people would comment on it like wow these guys are dressing way different than any other pastor I've ever seen but uh once I just put the price tag next to it, it caused people to be like, Oh, whoa, uh, I don't know how I feel about that, especially people from afar, like these guys chose to not only get up on stage and wear this kind of stuff, but also curate their photos and videos on social media platforms with half a million, a million followers. And so uh, pretty quickly, people from all over were starting to see that these guys were wearing really expensive stuff. And so some I, I think maybe maybe genuinely didn't think twice about it, that anybody would be upset about it. But I think others, uh, it is part of the brand of their Mm -hmm. message to say, like, look, God does want these things for you, even if they don't explicitly say it, basically saying, like, you know, I'm one of God's guys that has been chosen to lead people spiritually, and here's what a successful uh, God's chosen looks like. Um, I don't think many of them would explicitly say that, but it does help their brand or at least helps their image to the people they're trying to reach. So there's some aesthetic, um, maybe some aesthetic like strategy that they put into their outfits. But um, I don't know. It's a weird thing to think about because like I think most rational people, if they had a pair of shoes that were clearly worth a mortgage payment, most people would, I think, think about it before getting up on stage. Even if it's like an unfair Uh, standard to put on a pastor from afar. Like many people are super judgy from afar on social or even in the congregation and they won't tell the pastor that they're upset about a guy's about what their lifestyle is. But deep down they think that the pastor owes them something in terms of like how they live their life. So like I've never suggested that pastors like live in fear or live, like be controlled by the opinions of others. But I have always held to like, I think it's wise to consider what you put on before you get on stage to talk about a Jewish carpenter that got murdered and buried in a borrowed tomb, you know? Um, So like there's the bona fide prosperity guys that are like, they have to wear this kind of stuff because their whole deal is like, God wants you to be successful. Then there's the other bit that are like trying to appease a younger generation and also in cities that are maybe higher net worth than maybe rural cities. And then there's probably a subset that Were gifted a nice pair of shoes for speaking somewhere and wore them and didn't realize that people were going to freak out about them. So, you know, there's some nuance to it. But from a like a macro level, uh, if you look at just the modern Christian church as a whole, it does seem like we have shifted to caring about a lot of this stuff that doesn't really matter in the scheme of pointing people to God.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a great point. Some of the really interesting stuff the book gets into. Uh, the book is not just a, a series of pictures and you know the price no. tags and, and dunking on people, and mm-hmm. that's not what the Instagram account is either. As you point out, the Instagram account is it's factual. This guy is wearing this. This is how much right. it how much it costs. But there's
5: but it's interesting how people like the stuff I've posted have been has been factual, but just that very thing makes it feel like an attack to a lot yeah. of people because it it points or it it. Uh, let's see, it shows who idolizes who mm. because the moment you ask a question or even show a fact that isn't glamorous about a guy or girl that you idolize, now it feels like an attack and you feel like led to try to destroy me. And so that's been an interesting, I don't know if it's a sociological experiment, but all I've done is is say these shoes literally, if, you, if they were brand new and you sold them today, they could bring you a thousand dollars. How do you feel about that? Because a lot of these guys are preaching in a way, wearing this stuff, basically communicating, whether they want to or not, that they can afford to not sell them. Yeah. And uh, to a lot of people, that, that rubs them the wrong way.
0: Yeah, one of the really interesting uh, facets of that you mentioned, I can't remember if in the book and one of the interviews I read, is people who are totally on board with that when it's the, per- the megachurch pastor they don't like. And uh-huh. then I believe the quote is, you get, you used to be funny when you go after their guy.
5: Yep. So it is, yeah, that's a pretty consistent thing. Uh, and you don't know what's going to happen until you post about a guy, but inevitably mm-hmm. I get a message request in my DMs like the next morning after I post about somebody and I'll give this massive paragraph about how they used to follow me because it was funny and they thought it was insightful, but now I've gone too far in some way, which is just like so hilarious to me.
0: Yeah, which is really funny because as you're pointing out, these are the, I, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I don't think the point of the the account of the book was ever- Megachurch pastor A is a bad person for doing this. Correct, but correct. You know your subtitle, which I think is really good, is authenticity in an age of for-profit faith and wannabe celebrities. Because things like the prosperity gospel, it's seeped into a lot of stuff, as you point out. Maybe not everybody's, you know, a dude in a shiny suit preaching about his fourth jet, but mm-hmm. if you're wearing something very expensive and talking about blessings, that's in there. We've gotten the idea that. Even guys who don't necessarily want to be celebrity pastors, you know, they they have their little social media account. They put up their blog posts. They There's this idea, I think, amongst a lot of people that, well, if I could get in that spot and do it well, and all these people be looking at me, that'd be great. And these are some of the questions you're looking at the book, and they're really worth poking at, right? Yeah. I mean, you would hope
5: that all of us would handle fame and platform and, and power In a completely healthy way, but it's just like there's example after example about how we are Mm. how easy it is for that to corrupt us and uh, I, I mean I'll say it for myself like it feels really good to have people seek me out to ask for. My opinion on these things or to say that, hey, you're funny or you're insightful or your book changed my life or whatever. That stuff feels good. And it's like at a very low scale. Like just imagine if you have 30,000 people coming to your church each weekend, you have a million followers on all the platforms and you have you know, people asking you to come speak at their leadership conference, that kind of stuff. Like why wouldn't that corrupt you unless yeah. you are completely uh, have all the right controls in place, the right community in place, Dude, I mean, it's just at a minimum, it's it's a dangerous game to play. But again, like I'm not a legalist and I, I've never claimed to say what the right amount of fame and money is to make from your work. But I think it, if we never ask about it or never try to like audit how we're conducting ourselves in church and how we're allowing others to conduct themselves in church to the outside world, like I think that's a detriment because it, the. Like faith is serious and people's eternities is a very serious thing. And oftentimes we treat it as this like source of entertainment mm-hmm. or source of motivation. Um, but I think it very easily could be corrupted. And and we have many churches that mm-hmm. just see this happening in front of their face where this, where a guy turns into this larger than life brand for the entire church. And nobody's like, hmm, I wonder if this could come cr- crumbling down uh, very easily. And, you know, we've seen it enough, even just this year that, Whole ministries could get eroded by one guy's bad behavior, but we continue to prop certain people up as as the guy or the girl. And uh, it's just like a cycle of insanity because we're all flawed humans. We all objectively know that we're all flawed humans, yet we still Mm. seek certain people for like almost like more anointed spiritual guidance. And if we're not careful, that's going to put our... Faith in our church is at risk. It already has.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the interesting thing to me is, and you touched on this a little bit, is the, you know, for preachers and a, a culture that, you know, talks about accountability a lot in certain contexts, there doesn't seem to be a lot for these guys. And as you're pointing out, a lot of that I don't think comes down to them being bad people or surrounding themselves with sycophants, but Right. if the staff is getting paid more because the, the top dude brings in a lot of people and the people in the pews get a little charge out of being at the the cool church with the cool pastor. Who would,
5: yeah. Who would, who would ever try
0: to stop that? Yeah. Who's going to be the one to say, are you really going on stage in $1,200 shoes? Like yeah. <laughs> you're bringing the, the whole thing crashing down. Well, that brings to, I right. think maybe we'll end on a little bit of a thought experiment here. Have sure. you gotten, or if you were to get, what would it be? What do you think would, what is the best response you've gotten from a pastor in your mind or what would be your ideal response? If someone gets called out, these are very expensive shoes. What, what do you think you would want to hear from someone on that? Probably the best example is I had a conversation with
5: Judah Smith, who's Justin Bieber's guy in Seattle and LA. And we have the interview at the end of the, the audio book, uh, if that interests anybody, but he, uh, he was probably the best conversation I had. He's also probably the most famous guy I've ever had a conversation with about this kind of stuff. And he acknowledged that the, the critique was valid in that like, they're not above being criticized or being critiqued because they've chosen to be public figures. They've Mm -hmm. chosen to reap the benefits of being a public figure and in turn, don't get to, uh, chalk everything up as haters hating uh like there could be some valid criticism and so i appreciated his security in being able to say that and then also like straight up he was like i gave away my gucci clothes because i didn't want any of my clothing to be a distraction from my Mm -hmm. message and like to me that was more than i could have ever asked for anybody and i don't expect pastors or preachers to do anything based on what i do on my account like i'm not asking for some radical change to all these guys lifestyles but i appreciated his willingness to say hey this is valid, and it can be a distraction. And I don't. If I if I genuinely want to point people to Jesus, I should care about not being a distraction myself. So uh, I think the most ideal the most ideal response is, I hope like acknowledgement of the critique one way or the other. Even if it's even if it's invalid, that I would like I would love to hear that they've heard it, taken consideration from it, and or taken consideration for it and brought it up to people that know them really well on whether or not it's true or it's a lie. And then, uh, a security in what they wear and how they own, like the worst possible response is to be insecure and offended by somebody Mm. that has a question about your clothing or your lifestyle or whatever. Like that's no way to live either. Don't have that stuff, um, and be secure about that or have the stuff and find a way to be secure about it. Um, because like people are going to, if you're on the Internet with a million followers, people are going to hate on you one way or the other. It's part of the deal. People do it to me all the time, um, and there's just no way to get around it. So that's probably what I'd say.
0: Absolutely, and it's that's the kind of stuff that is so well handled in the book, and it's a look at a big question and an ongoing question. It's something we're going to – we are as you point out, it's in the news pretty regularly. We're continuing to deal with it, and I think uh, the Preachers in Sneakers book is a a great way to – look at that and get your mind around that in some very concrete and incredibly entertaining ways. Uh, The book is preachers and sneakers authenticity in the age of for-profit faith and wannabe celebrities. Ben Kirby. Thank you so much for your time, Matt. It's a pleasure, man. Great to meet you. And uh, thanks for giving me some time. All right. That was my interview with Ben Kirby. Preachers and sneakers is available now, wherever you buy books. Uh, Again, really worth checking out. I thought there was some really interesting stuff in the book, and um, you can shout out Preachers and Sneakers on Instagram as well. We move on to our final question here, comes in anonymously and says, there's a girl I'm developing romantic feelings for who I met through an online game during the pandemic. We became online friends over the past year and have just recently met in real life and ended up going on two dates and have planned a third. However, she is a very devoted Buddhist, just like her family and friends. As much as I want her to become a Christian, I respect her and I don't want to manipulate her feelings in any form to make it happen, but I also don't see myself giving up on being a Christian either. Should I really continue pursuing this relationship? Is it wrong for me to be in a romantic relationship with a non-Christian? I believe God could make it happen, but I think it's a far cry. Should I end things before everyone gets too involved and gets hurt? Thank you. So another great question. And Jed, I'd love you to get you to kick us off here. This is uh
3: We've answered a lot of questions in this vein over the years. Where would we start with it? Well, here's, here's what comes across to me as I read this question. The, the thing that I get, the question asker's not explicitly said this, but it certainly appears to be kind of the through line, is that they believe that pursuing this relationship is a bad idea. Uh, and um, I, I am not actually saying if I think that or not, but I want to grant the premise of the question. Um, that the question asker believes that this is a bad idea. The place that I want to begin, and I, I actually think it's really important for you to think about, is that you are allowed to want things that are a bad idea. Mm. Um, you you do want things that are a bad idea all the time. The question is, are you willing to be honest with yourself about the fact that you want things that are a bad idea? Um, Christians as a, a people really want to shortcut the process of thinking things through of wrestling with god of um you know soul searching and and looking at things from all angles and so one of the ways that they shortcut things is to say well if this is a bad idea then uh that's the end of the discussion i just you know i can't do it i won't do it so that's that's just it and you know i'm i'm a lay person but for what it's worth, in, in my experience, a philosophy of you are not allowed to want this, I don't think that very often leads to healthy outcomes. Um, because on some level, you, you are actually living in denial. You, you are denying mm. the way that you actually feel. You are denying the, the truth of your own emotional reality. And I don't actually think God is expecting you to do that. I want to read you a very, very quick parable. You've probably heard it before. It comes out of Matthew 21. It's called the parable of the two sons. And this is Jesus talking. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son. He said the same thing. The son answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The crowd answered, the first. What's interesting about that is the guy that ultimately did, in this case, the righteous thing actually started by being honest about how he felt, yeah, that's right. which was, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. It's like a hundred degrees wanna out wanna do there. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not feeling that. Uh, so the idea that the, the path to righteousness begins by uh, trying to ignore or repress or deny the way that we feel about things doesn't really have much spiritual backing. And then here's the other side of it, which is going to have some really important impact in your life. You are going to do a certain number of bad ideas Mm. for sure. One hundred percent. Some of them you will have gotten into without really thinking about it much at all. And you will realize when you're knee deep in it. Oh, goodness, this is a bad idea. Others, you'll kind of know it's a bad idea, but then you're just going to do it anyway. And that's not because you're a bad person. That's just because that's the human experience. Like, literally everybody winds up with a certain number of bad ideas. And any time that you are enmeshed in a bad idea, one really important thing to know is that there are always less damaging ways to approach them. I'll give you a quick example. Suppose you spend too much time in the sun and you get a sunburn. A smart person would get some aloe vera. They would drink plenty of water and stay hydrated. Both of those things will help you to recover quicker, better, faster, and feel better. But if you feel a deep sense of shame about your sunburn, you may find that you're refusing to figure out how to lessen the impacts of the sunburn. And that is not a good way to live. Um, And it's, it's not a godly way to live, but We kind of need to acknowledge that a lot of modern U.S. Christian culture is built off of the idea of people should suffer the maximum consequences possible (laughs) of acting on bad ideas, Mm. and that way it will keep them from engaging in bad ideas. That has never worked. It has literally never worked. It's a terrible idea. It's a cruel idea. It's an unchristian idea. And again, you are going to engage in a certain number of bad ideas. You should at least put in the thought to know what the easy way out would be, to know what the less damaging version would be, to know what the version of the bad idea that causes fewer problems in your life in future would be. That is a good thing, but we kind of can't walk that terrain if we're not willing to acknowledge there's a bad idea that I'm seriously considering engaging in. So that takes us all the way back to the beginning. It seems from your question that you think this is a bad idea. Again, I'm not commenting on that. But what I am saying is, even if you think that, I think you owe it to yourself and to God to acknowledge that you do want this, that some part of you is really, really drawn to it, and to think that all the way through, including um, playing some scenarios on if I were to act on this thing I think is a bad idea, what are the ways to approach that that wouldn't wreck my life and the life of this other person?
0: All very, very smart stuff. And Glenn, I'd love if you to pick us up there. What would you add?
1: Well, I, I agree with everything Jed's saying there. And so let me try and unpack the whole landscape here. And if there's something that you want us to cover in more detail, give us a follow-up question, and we'll definitely cover yeah. that. Here's the thing. When we're talking about, in this case, different religions, we do need to talk about this idea of being spiritual but not religious. That's sort of a cliche. People say, oh, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. But the thing is, I think that's actually a very legit thing. Uh, it does need to be defined a bit what is meant by that in uh, so let 's define it uh, when we talk about religion, religion is a box uh for your for your beliefs everything in the box is legit, and everything outside the box is not legit. We are in the box they are not in the box uh that 's what that 's how religion works uh that's the that's the the and and i I'm not saying that in a negative or pejorative sort of way i'm simply saying that's how that's the definition of religion it's a box uh then what happens is we isolate ourselves inside that box and then we end up developing a culture all our all of our own any isolated group ends up developing their own culture so By culture, I mean music, I mean uh, vocabulary, you know, words that we use, uh, behaviors, and traditions, uh, ways that we have of doing things, holidays, and so on and so forth. And those traditions and that culture ends up becoming, in almost all cases, semi-coequal with the tenets of the faith that are inside that box. Now, all of that causes a lot of problems. For example, if I want to come to your church barefoot, people are just not going to like that. They're going to think that's weird and uncool and disrespectful and all of that. Well, I can say to those people, uh, there is an actual verse in the Bible that says, you are staying on holy ground, take your shoes off. So I, I'm trying to, to, to honor God by taking my shoes off like it says in the Bible, but you're wearing shoes and telling me I'm wrong. Based on your culture, because that's how religion works. It's rules. It's a box. That's what's going on there. uh, Spirituality, as Lee was talking about on the earlier question, is personal. It's it's a journey that you go on uh, of intimacy and growing closer to God and finding out who God is and developing that relationship. That's what it means to be a spiritual person. It's also important that you recognize that Jesus completely messed with religious people. Religious people did not like Jesus. Uh, they had problems with him, and they nailed him to a cross. So that's religion versus spirituality. Here's why I lay all that out. If you have two people who are saying, I'm just going to f- listen to God and follow him in whatever shape that takes, I'm not putting labels on that, I'm not trying to abide by the tenets of uh, 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 what's, what you have written down in your box, that can be something— uh, but I think the way that you're describing this, it sounds like we are uh, that's not quite what we're looking at. So I, I think as I lay that out, I think it's about the, the spiritual versus religious element of that.
0: Mm. It's a very, very interesting place to take that. And Lee, I'd love to get you to close this out here because I think there's a couple of things going on, and I'd love to get you to address them. But the one I think we really need to, to shine a light on is— there's a difference between, I don't think this relationship will work out because we have different spiritual values versus, I think people who are Buddhists are evil. And that's I wonder right. if some of our, our, our holdup here may come from not being able to differentiate between those two things.
2: I, I think that's a really good way to state that, because I really love where Jed started us out, the trajectory of, of these responses uh, about being honest about what we want, about looking at the difference, and then Glenn developing this idea with looking at the difference between religion and spiritual spirituality and everything, and then there's just this question of like why is it that that folks who believe in Jesus who have read some of the scriptures kind of know that this that you know that the, the scriptures say something about this and there's and there's just this this kind of uh, practical point, um, you know, I, I I steal this line from Jed all the time that when the Lord says don't, what he's really saying is don't hurt yourself, and there and there's that there is a there's actually a practical reason why the scriptures say the things that they do, and it's not about being intolerant to it's not just about being intolerant to anybody that's not in my camp or anything like that. That there's actually a really practical edge to this, which is when you have a deep committed relationship with someone, you are going to face lots of challenges. And the one of the biggest issues is that we face those challenges and we determine how we're going to deal with those challenges based on our view of the world and based on the things that, you know, where we, the foundation of our deepest hope Um, what are the things that I, that I believe are most true about the universe, (laughs) about myself and my own identity? And, and, uh, where do I, where do I stake my hope? Where is my faith placed? What, what do I believe is true about the, the way that the, you know,
0: the,
2: you know, the, the, way that the human spirit and the human person can find contentment and joy and, 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 uh, and peace and all of those things. If I'm on a completely and fundamentally different plane from somebody, it's going to be a difficult thing to face some of the some of the challenges that a deep and committed and long term relationship is going to pose um so exactly as you're saying matt if if a person says okay I, I've got to be honest, I want this even though it might not be the best thing for me um and At the exact same time as somebody can say that honestly, somebody can also say, I might also choose not to go forward with this, but that's not because I'm being an intolerant jerk and just saying, like, everybody who believes this is wrong and evil. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, hey, in practical terms, relationships are hard work. They require an unbelievable amount of cooperation and teamwork. They have to face incredible odds and incredible challenges. And it's actually a very important thing that we see the world fundamentally in a similar way that we, and that we place our hope in the same things. Uh, my wife and I have uh, teenage children at this point. And um, you know, the, the challenges that you face when you're trying to, when you're trying to walk teenage children through their questions and through their curiosities and through their stuff, it's like if Christie and I did not believe the same things about God, we would be completely unable to encourage one another about w- the data that we 're seeing and where this is going um, that's a hard thing to describe without going into a, a ton of detail about you know my kids' personal lives. but all that to say, a deep and committed and long term relationship is going to face certain challenges, and one of the best things that you can have in, in one of the best clubs you can have in your bag for facing those challenges is we see the world uh, fundamentally in in a same thing, and our hope is placed in the same in the same place that we have a similar we have a similar vantage point and vision about what it means, what success is, and what contentment is, and what it means to hope, um, and what we're hoping in. And so if, if somebody says no to a situation where somebody's in, you know, it's like, I'm going to say no to a relationship where somebody's in a different, uh, camp, you know, if, if the scriptures lead me in that place, it's not just about intolerance. It's about, some of that is about the practicality of you're going to face deep challenges and being on the same, being, uh, you know, seeing the world in the same way is going to help you face those challenges together as a team.
0: I think that's all, all wonderful stuff. All right. If you have a question for us, at podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. If you want to keep that totally anonymous, you can scroll down and find those links below. You can also check out Preachers in Sneakers by Ben Kirby, available now. Links in the episode description as well. You can join us every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time, facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago for The Bridge Live. We're going to take you out with a song. This week, this is a bridge classic. This is Jed leading the men and women at the bridge in always, always, Ooh, always yes. that. Thanks for listening. Just remember we love you, God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it.
1: This week on the Serial Podcast, we feature the magical sounds of frosted flakes <laughs> with the <a> zany <laughs> twist. Almond milk. <laughs> I look at the threads.
4: I've been hanging from, and Jesus, how I shudder as they come undone. It feels like I'm falling and my hope is gone, but you're the one who's held me up all along. God, your hand is always on me.